My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all of the guidance, research, and encouragement that you need to remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have Monica here. Um, and Monica, just whenever you're ready, go ahead and give us some basic background information and just the demographics of your family so our listeners know where you're coming from. Sure. So I am obviously a mom. Uh, I have an almost two-year-old daughter who recently has entered what I've heard people refer to as the savage stage of being a small child. She's just into everything. She has found her voice. She is standing her ground. Um, and it's, it's funny, it's challenging, but this age is just amazing. Um, my husband and I are both working from home full time now. Thank you, COVID-19. Um, we're in our mid thirties. Uh, she's our first child. We're not sure if we're going to have another one. Um, but we, it's been an adventure. Um, it's been an adventure with a lot of amazing, amazing moments. And, you know, I think like most moms, like I never knew my heart could expand so astronomically, you know, with, with the birth of your child and, and being a mom. Um, we found out we were pregnant in the March of 2018 and we had been trying for about 10 months, which I know for anyone that has any challenges with infertility, sounds like a blip on the radar. Um, but we were so ready to get pregnant and wanted to get pregnant that 10 months felt like a long time. Um, I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. So after nine months of trying, my doctor put me on metformin and a month later we were pregnant and we were just ecstatic. And I felt pretty good most of my pregnancy. Um, at about the eight week mark, I found out I had a hematoma, which before we were pregnant, I had no idea what that was or how common they are, but it's, you know, uterine bleeding that was a scare, but the baby was fine. And from there, everything progressed really great until the end of my second trimester. And I did the glucose tolerance test with that delicious high fructose beverage we all get to drink. And I found out that I had gestational diabetes. Um, and I felt pretty good from there through having our daughter, but I'd be lying if I said the third trimester didn't suck because I was someone who wanted to eat everything and anything. And with gestational diabetes, you have to be careful and you want to be careful. Um, so on top of being, you know, starving for ice cream and pizza and not being able to have it. I also had to do a couple injections every day for myself uh, to manage my insulin and that sucked also. But 
overall, looking back on it, I mean, if that was the worst that happened when I was pregnant, you know, I never really had morning sickness. I never had a ton of discomfort. I had to give myself a couple shots a couple times a day for a little while at the end. Like it really wasn't bad. Overall, I had a, what I feel like was a pretty good pregnancy. And then my daughter arrived and I had an amazing delivery experience. I was induced because of my, excuse me, my gestational diabetes. And the whole process was just calm and relaxing. I was maybe in a half hour of pain the entire day. Everything worked the way it was supposed to from, you know, the drugs that they give you to help your body prepare and to go into labor to the fastest, most spa-like epidural experience that I can describe. Um, I know it's not fun for some people, but I, I had a really great anesthesiologist and that went well and I pushed for a half hour and we just had a great, great experience having our daughter. Um, you know, if, if I thought every delivery was like that, I'd say I could have like five more kids, no sweat. Like that was a great day. Um, but overall it went really well. Um, and she arrived and we were just ecstatic. She was super healthy. Um, she was a nice big baby. Um, so my husband who hadn't spent a lot of time with newborns, um, was <laughs> I think a little more comfortable cause she didn't feel quite as fragile as some other newborns that he'd met uh, before that. So, um, she, she was doing great and, you know, we were excited and I knew from our friends and family who had babies and we had, you know, some, not all of our friends even have kids yet. We're kind of at the beginning tier of our, our close friends that want to have families. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, I knew I was going to be exhausted. I knew that every kid's different and that there was going to be a learning curve as a new mom, you know, no matter how many babies I'd ever babysat for, I, I knew it was going to be challenging in some ways, but I didn't anticipate um, just how dark postpartum anxiety and depression can be when you're going through it. And I was someone who, before we got pregnant, before, before we had our daughter, I mean, before I was even diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety, I really didn't know what it was. I mean, I'd seen movies, I'd seen TV shows, and my really naive understanding was that those are things that people experience. And when I say those, I shouldn't say those. I didn't even know what postpartum anxiety was until I found out I had it. But I'd heard about postpartum depression. And I had kind of created an assumption in my head that it was people who maybe hadn't really wanted to have a baby and weren't happy with what the realities of it was. And it was such an unfair assumption. It was a really uninformed assumption. I just... I didn't know anything about it. And, and looking back, I, you know, I, it, it, as a pregnant person, as someone becoming a mom, I feel like maybe I should have taken more responsibility to find out what some of the possibilities were. Like, you know, you're a new mom. This is something that could happen. But I also wish that I would have heard more about it from people 
who were helping me on that journey, you know, like I was going to say, I I relate to this. And so I'm saying this partly for you, partly for me, but also like largely for the women who are listening, Mm -hmm. this is that you not knowing and you making those assumptions is not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not their fault. It is society's fault Mm -hmm. because of all the images that are put out there and everything else that's hidden. And I think it's just this perpetuation of us only wanting to, as women, portray that we are, that we do have it all together and that results in us still experiencing the same crappy stuff and we're all experiencing it, but we just don't talk about it. And it ends up being this situation where you're struggling and you have no idea what it is and you just end up feeling awful, but you can't talk to anybody about it. So that's not your fault. That is society's fault. Yeah. And it's, it's really too bad because I mean, I, I have a couple of good friends who dealt with that stuff and never mentioned it to me once, you know, because they, they held it in. Um, They weren't talking to anyone about it. It's not that they just, you know, were keeping this dirty secret from me about the realities of, of having a baby for some women, but you know, they felt that they couldn't talk about it, but at the same time, like, I think my OB's office has pamphlets about it, maybe. Um, the first it was mentioned to me when we had our daughter was, I think, on our way out of the hospital. And they have you fill out this survey where they have a couple, like, web addresses you can go to for stuff. And I remember there being a question, something like, you know, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling overwhelmed? And I remember thinking, well, I just had a baby. Like, I am in a diaper. I, I haven't slept yet. I, like, I'm, I'm suddenly a mom. Like, of course I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Of course I'm waddling out of the hospital. It feels kind of sad. Um, as excited as I was, but that was it. And so. And then they don't even, I don't, I mean, this could be a whole other podcast, but like, they don't even, I don't know what your experience was, but in my experience, they, when they did ask, which was already so minimal, like you said, it's like, Mm -hmm. they don't even, I had to ask to be specifically screened for anxiety. They kept Mm -hmm. asking me depression questions. And it was like, I'm not depressed. If you give me the anxiety version of this questionnaire, and luckily I'm a therapist. So I knew what it was and I knew that it existed And then I finally got the help that I needed, but I feel so, I feel so, I feel so awful for women out there who don't have the context for it. And that's the whole purpose behind this, this podcast. So rock on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, um, looking back on it, it just blows my mind. And on top of that, you know, I've had anxiety over the years. Like I, you know, I've, I've seen people to help me talk through it over the years. Um, I had no idea that if you're someone who already has anxiety, even if you manage it really well and you've gotten tools and resources just to deal with general anxiety, that all that stuff doesn't necessarily work when it's postpartum anxiety because there's the whole new layer of this tiny person that you want so badly to do right by and you don't know what you're doing yet. And so for me, you know, I I went into it knowing I'm someone who has anxiety and I had no idea that there would be potential for this new like 300 dragon of postpartum anxiety. And I was also, because I was so confident about becoming a mom, like I knew I wanted to, I've I've always loved kids when I was 
younger, you know, if we had a family member or a friend who had a new baby, like I was first in line to hold the child. I, I just, I've always wanted to be a mom and I thought I, I wanted this so badly. I'm going to be fine. Like this isn't something that's going to be an issue. And we had some issues kind of right away with my daughter where breastfeeding just didn't work for us. And so I was a rock about, you know, I wanted her to have what I thought was, you know, the best nutrition possible. And if I can't breastfeed, what does this mean for her long-term health? And looking back on that, fed is best, like do what you have to do for your sanity. But at the time, and you know, in the thick of it, I was a mess and I wasn't sleeping. And because she wasn't breastfeeding, you know, she was having trouble with sleep. And then we found out that she had um, a reflux issue that a lot of babies have, but there was a lot more screaming during eating. And it just made this mess of a stressful scenario. And at my six week follow up, the nurse was doing the screening and she asked me a couple of simple questions about, you know, am I feeling tired? And again, are you overwhelmed? And I just started crying. And my doctor came in and said, you know, the nurse talked to me and we think you might have some postpartum. And I don't remember what prescription drug she recommended I try to calm down. And even looking back at that, like, I, I love my OB. I, she's amazing. I've had great experiences with her. Looking back at that, I wish that that wouldn't have been how we approached it because I've found since then, I mean, it's been two years, what I needed was therapy. Like, I needed someone to talk to about it. It couldn't be my husband, you know, as great as he is, as supportive as he is. He had no idea what was going on. And he had a hard time relating when I would talk to him about general anxiety. Um, and I knew that even if, you know, he was listening, that I needed help navigating it. And, you know, about a month after my daughter was born, um, it was Christmas and I had a, a one month old and my mom and my sister-in-law, you could, I could tell that they could tell that something was wrong because you know, and I've tried to tell my husband about anxiety and just generally for me, what I experience, the best way that I found that he gets is, you know, that feeling when someone startles you or when you're surprised and you have that moment of, oh, and it's just prolonged. Like you don't feel like you can take your guard down. You know, it's just this, this awful sensation of, of being wary and ready for, for everything to go wrong or like you're not doing everything right. And I wish that I could go back and, you know, set up an appointment with someone then. I wish that I would have had a better handle on, okay, what is postpartum anxiety? You know, why is this happening? What can I do to help myself? What resources are going to be the best fit for me? What resources are out there? Where do I, find, you know, I had no idea. And it, it took me a lot longer, I think, than it had to to feel like myself again, because I didn't understand what help was there. Um, and it makes me sad because, you know, the first year and a half of my daughter's life, I was overwhelmed and sad. And I mean, there were so many good moments in there. I, I, I have loved being a mom. I love being a mom. And there's, you know, every milestone, every stage is just mind blowing to watch her grow and I'm someone who's been working from home since the beginning. Um, I left my nine to five when she was born to work part time um, and do it remotely. So 
I've, I've gotten to be home and, and see all these moments with her. But also, I, I think that that maybe wasn't the best for me because what happened for me was right, what, two weeks before the shutdown, right? In March, two weeks before, you know, the world kind of changed to what it is right now or what it's become, I decided that I needed to get out of the house three days a week. I, I no longer wanted my whole world to be all day, every day being a mom. I, I realized that for me to be my mental best and just myself as a whole person, like I, I needed to get out of the house and go somewhere where I was not hauling a diaper bag. Like I needed that for myself. And so I took an office job, um, just doing some part-time marketing and business development work uh, two weeks before COVID hit. And at that point, we signed up my daughter for daycare, what, I think it was two days a week. And then she was going to spend a day a week with my parents. And that's the schedule we've maintained since then. I'm working from home now, but three days a week, I'm not spending all day every day being a parent. And she's away for a night, um, sometimes two nights, which I didn't understand until I got the break, how bad I needed that break. Mm -hmm. um, and it took, it took until March, so until she was a year and a half for me to feel like myself again. And a year and a half, big picture isn't that long, but when you're in it, that is a long time to not feel like you're you. Um, and I wish I could go back and make changes earlier because I think you're such a better parent when you're happy. I mean, you can... You can be a great parent when you're not happy. I'm, I'm not saying that. You can be an amazing parent when you're not happy. And for me, it was just like, make sure she's happy, make sure she's entertained, make sure she's being educated and nourished and getting everything and all the interaction and stimulation I can give her. And I was giving myself no space to make sure I was okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not okay. And I felt guilty for wishing that I, I felt as fulfilled as I was making sure my daughter was because we're not supposed to need much more than a shower and a trip to the grocery store ourselves for breaks. If you, if you look at all the stuff out there about, you know, self-care, you know, take time to take a shower, go sit in a parking lot and eat, you know, fast food by yourself with the music up. That's not a break. That's no, there's so much more to it than that to to feeling like you're you and to making it a priority to to take care of yourself and it frustrates me so much that we don't talk about it more mm -hmm. and I've been going off on a tangent Jenna I'm sorry. no it's awesome and I, I mean it's I say it's awesome because like I'm over here and I'm resonating with your story so much and I feel so much when these moms share their stories. It's like, I have a hard time not making it about me. But the mm -hmm. thing about motherhood, like you've referenced, is that that solidarity is so invaluable. And like, mm -hmm. we need to know that other women are feeling the same way that we're feeling. And we need to know that someone else feels that way and someone else feels that way. So at the cost of like jumping in, I feel like I need to spread that solidarity too. Like, the fact what you were saying about so I also I've always been a really anxious person and the fact that like you you said oh yeah I came into motherhood just feeling like I I was well equipped and I got this I'm an anxiety therapist like 
I treat people with the most significant OCD and anxiety in the world. And so I went into motherhood, I think, pretty aware of the possibilities and what could be going on. And it rocked my world. Like, Mm. I, in a way, I feel like my quote unquote equipment going into battle, like almost weighed me down because it added this set, this this additional layer of like, well, why then is this still so hard for me? Like, Mm -hmm. why is this so hard for me that I have a good husband? I have a supportive network. I have all the knowledge that I need to, to, of what I know is going on with me and I know what I should be doing. So why is it still so hard for me to do what I know I need to do? But like you've mentioned, it's totally different when it's your own child. Yeah. The The scary parts are scarier. The anxiety-provoking parts are more anxiety-provoking. Like, I remember my husband is also super just, like, opposite of anxiety, just unflappable. So he had a really hard time relating. But I remember I was cutting onions one day for dinner, and I was shaking so much that – and nothing was going on, like – I believe my kiddo was like a one at the time and nothing was going on. I was cooking dinner. I think I was just anticipating the next, oh crap moment, like the yeah. next fall or the next meltdown or the next me feeling really high distress. And I remember shaking the onion. I was shaking with the knife and the onion so badly that I couldn't even cut the onion. And that's what I knew. Like that's, it brings me back to what you said about just like that startle feeling, except Mm -hmm. you don't feel it for a second. You feel it all the time. Right. And it's an awful, awful feeling. And I'm so appreciative of you unpacking all of that for yourself (laughs) and for our other women, for our women. Like, I I think it's so important for them to know. And I, uh, one more thing that I think will be helpful for them to know is like my cutting the onions story, like what other ways did your symptoms manifest on a day-to-day basis? Because I think women would find value in like, oh, oh, like I do that too. <laughs> like, yeah. So any well, way that your symptoms manifested just on a day-to-day basis? Mm-hmm. Well, a couple things. The first I still struggle with, to be honest, my daughter's room temperature. So I got fixated on the idea of her being too cold or too hot, like from day one. Um, my body temperature, like I, I run hot and run cold. Like if the room's cold, my husband will say it's hot. So I don't have confidence in my gauge of how warm or cold a space is. And I could laugh at myself talking about this now, but it's, it's real. Um, I was constantly worried about how cold or how hot her room was going to be and convinced that, you know, if she was fed, if she was, you know, on schedule, you know, if I knew nothing was wrong and she woke up, well, it must be because her room's too hot or too cold. And so I would get fixated every night on what temperature is it supposed to be outside and what temperature is it going to be in our house? And, oh, wait, her room is a little bit draftier, just a little bit, but enough that I'm not sure that her room is the same temperature as what our thermostat says the rest of the house is going to be. And this was a saga every night for, I mean, probably close to a year and a half. Um, And it was awful. I mean, my husband and I would argue about it because I think it, I know it annoyed him that I would have this, this debate and it's not just standing there at the thermostat, you know, Hmm, I wonder how warm it was panic every night. I was just a mess about it. And it, it feels so silly because, I mean, you, 
obviously we got a thermometer for her room so that I would know exactly how warm or cold it was in her room. But I would just worry so much about, you know, is she going to wake up because it's too hot? Is she, is she, you know, is the swaddle she's in, is that the, the right material and thickness for this weather? Um, and ultimately, and this is we're talking with a therapist, helped me so much. It wasn't about, is she going to get up? It was, how tired am I going to be if she's up in the night tomorrow to do the things that I know I need to do tomorrow in my life? It, like, mm-hmm. it was about more than, you know, is my daughter going to wake up in the night? And then it was about the anxiety of if I'm feeling out of it tomorrow or if I'm not fully equipped to lead the loaded day that I've created for myself, like, how am I going to cope with that? Well, that's going to be stressful if I feel like I'm not, you know, it would just spiral. And that's um, so (laughs) you just like opened a door for me. (laughs) Like, yeah. And like, if it happened with me, I'm sure it's happening with so many other moms. Like, Mm -hmm you were not anxious about her, the temperature. Like that was the superficial manifestation of this. And Mm -hmm. and as we know, dealing with anxiety and having been to therapy for it, we know that unless you get to that root, you're not going to fix the problem. Like the temperature is going to be something else later on. It's going to be what food she's eating or Mm -hmm. um, what kind of interaction she's getting at school. Like it's going to be something else until you heal the root issue, which it seems like for you, and for probably a lot of moms is like, nope, it wasn't the sleep. It was how is that lack of sleep going to affect me? And consequently, mm-hmm. how am I going to deal with all that distress? It's going to be insurmountable and I can't handle. Yeah. And that that's exactly, that word is so perfect, insurmountable, because it would just feel like I can't handle a day with a, what, like a six month old knowing I I need her to take a nap so that I can get the two hours I've committed to work done today so that I don't have to stay up tonight. Um, It was just such a bigger thing. And it it took finding an amazing therapist. Um, My husband came with me um, to one appointment in particular where we talked about the temperature thing so that he would know, like, your wife actually isn't crazy, yet she can't talk herself out of this here's how we can go about it together. And for us, it was, you know, me accepting, okay, this is a quirk of my anxiety right now. Um, This is a quirk of mine. I need to stop beating myself up for this quirk because I would, I would be so embarrassed if we would go to my parents' house or my in-laws' house or a night away, you know, with friends somewhere who also had kids to explain why I was checking the temperature or why I wanted it to be cooler than everyone else liked or weren't. I mean, it was a thing wherever we went. And I was so embarrassed by it because I knew it was irrational sounding, but it didn't change the anxiety. Like the anxiety, anxiety doesn't care if you know better. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not something you can reason yourself out of. Um, but it took talking with the therapist and just saying, okay, this is something I'm dealing with. Um, we talked about how anxiety is a lot like Voldemort. And I hope that reference isn't lost on too many people with Harry Potter. But, you know, not seeing Voldemort's power is what gives him power. Um, And so talking about the anxiety and talking about the temperature thing, and being able to tell my husband, here's what I'm worried about tonight, for him to know that he didn't need to solve it for me, or try to solve it for me, because that's just the kind of guy he is, you know, he wants to help. 
just letting me, you know, vomit it all out and tell him what I was worried about would help me. And it, it made a big difference for me just to acknowledge like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with and we'll get through it. And I started letting myself have a lot more caffeine than I used to during the day. And that helped. I mean, that's not a solution for the anxiety, but you know, knowing, okay, if it's 3 p.m. and I'm exhausted tomorrow, I'm going to have a huge thing of coffee and I'm going to get through it. And the talking about it, though, was huge because getting comfortable with just talking about and embracing that aspect of my anxiety led to me getting so much more comfortable talking about postpartum issues in general with people. Um, especially mom friends, but even friends who don't have kids, instead of saying when I'd see them, you know, like, yeah, we're doing great. I'd say, yeah, we're good. You know, I have postpartum anxiety and it's made this really hard, but, you know, starting to talk about it and mention it. And I think sometimes people don't know what to say or didn't know what to say. They'd say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. And I'd explain, you know, I freak out about stuff that I wish I wasn't freaking out about, which you know, if you're talking to someone who doesn't have anxiety or isn't very familiar with, I think it's kind of hard to, to paint an accurate picture of what it's really like. But I found some simple ways to just say, I'm okay, but this is hard. Um, that made me feel more in control, if, if that makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. talking about it made me feel like this isn't this big, dirty secret that I have that I have to go through by myself. Mm -hmm. um, talking about it made me feel like number one I'm getting it off my chest which you know addressing it makes me feel like it's a little off my chest and two I'm doing my part whether it's directly with the person I'm talking to or if I'm talking to someone who has a sister who's pregnant or you know a cousin who's pregnant or a friend I'm I'm planting the seed in this person that this is a thing like there are moms who have a really hard time and it happens. I'm hitting the pause button quick to share with you guys a product that my family absolutely loves. Magic Spoon is a protein packed, delicious adult version of some of our favorite childhood cereals. It's a healthy cereal that seriously tastes too good to be true. Each serving has about 11 grams of protein per serving compared to those other cereals that only have one or two grams of protein per serving. Each serving also only contains three net carbs compared to an average of 24 net carbs per serving with other cereals. Magic Spoon cereals are also grain-free, gluten-free, and free of artificial sweeteners and other funky ingredients. They have flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, honey nut, and my favorite, peanut butter. Give it a try at magicspoon.com and enter Jenna Overbaugh, one word, for free shipping on me. Happiness 100% guaranteed. just getting it out there would make me feel better. And it paved the way for me to be very comfortable sharing with friends and family um, when we had our miscarriage, um, that that had happened and that I was sad about it. Um, and uh, well, that moves on to that question, Jenna. <laughs> that yeah, moves on to the I was, I was, I was curious. So I hate to, you know, stir anything up that's too uncomfortable for you. But yeah. if you're comfortable, I'd love to 
have our women know about how you experienced that too. So talking about your miscarriage and how you coped and just generally what that was like for you. Yeah, let's stir it up. I'm, I'm all about it. And I'll, I'll warn you, I, I get emotional about it sometimes, but not in a, in a bad way. I think it's normal to get emotional when you talk about a miscarriage because, you know, someone died and people get emotional about that no matter who it was. So just a lot of feelings. Um, and I yeah. appreciate in advance you sharing it. I've, I had three interviews today and every single woman, you're my third one and every single woman shared about a miscarriage. And oh. so it's more in all of the interviews that I've done, it's more common than not. And so yeah. it just begs the, begs the need for us to be talking about it more. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so our miscarriage actually happened in, during kind of the peak of my postpartum anxiety and depression. Um, we found out we were pregnant when my daughter was four months old. Um, it was not planned. Um, it was a surprise, but a welcome surprise. I mean, even though we were in the thick of me really struggling, um, like looking back, we were excited because we had this beautiful little girl we were both so in love with and we just thought well this is you know this wasn't what we planned for our timeline to be for a second but if this is our timeline you know we started looking up all the cute memes about Irish twins and you know we were, we were thrilled about it and I was seven weeks pregnant and we had just come from my my first appointment my six-week appointment a few days before and there wasn't a heartbeat but I wasn't worried and I was advised not to be worried because, you know, at that appointment, they don't always see the heartbeat, but I was going to bed one night and, you know, I'd given birth recently enough that I knew what the pain and cramp of the contraction was and I knew something was wrong and I was bleeding and I called my OB and I described what was going on and kind of you know, what I'd seen come out of me. And she said, you know, it, it sounds like you're having a miscarriage. And it was, gosh, was it eight o'clock at night? She said, you can come in tomorrow and we'll check things out and, and likely confirm that. Or you can go to the hospital tonight and, you know, have peace of mind and anxiety. Um, I wasn't about to wait until the next day to go to the, to go to the doctor. That would be right awful um, for someone with any sort of anxiety to have to wait and worry that way. So I went to the ER and unfortunately it was a long night at the ER and basically felt like I was in labor for like four hours in the waiting room at the ER while I, I passed everything sitting there in the waiting room. It was, it was pretty terrible. Um, and, you know, I finally had an ultrasound and they confirmed that um, that little person was no longer there. And I had thought, my husband too, we talked about it. We had thought, you know, if, if something doesn't happen with this pregnancy or if, if something happens and this doesn't work out, we'll be okay. We have our beautiful little girl. We're happy. This wasn't planned. It would be really sad, but we would be okay. And I remember walking out to my car from the hospital by myself at like 1 a.m. and just sobbing. And I was so surprised by how sad I was because, you know, not that 
any of these reasons mean anything, but it wasn't expected. We already had a child. It wasn't planned. Like I couldn't have imagined how devastated I would be losing that baby and getting home and seeing how devastated my husband was. Um, and it wasn't just that day that we were sad, you know, we, we both, I think really kind of grieved that pregnancy for months and we still talk about it. We still say sometimes, you know, looking at our daughter and she'll be in the middle of something so toddler, like trying to eat her food off the floor the way our dog does. And we'll just laugh at her. And then one of us will say, you know, imagine having a 10 month old here with us right now. And now we can kind of chuckle about how tired, how much more tired we would be or how wild our house would probably be at times. But, you know, I, I think that we've gotten over a, as much of the sadness as you really can when you're trying to move on from something, but it still, it still hurts to think about because I don't personally have a very clear stance on at what point when you're pregnant, you know, the cells become your baby, right? Like I, I don't really have an opinion on it, but for me, from the second I knew I was pregnant, I was pregnant. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was being made a mom again. And I often think still about, you know, who that little spirit would have been and, looking at, you know, the little girl who would have been their big sister, like how, what would the personality have been like? How would that little person have fit into our family? And I just, it makes me so sad to think that there are so many women who go through that pain and that grief alone. You know, I, there are a lot of women in my family who've had miscarriages. Um, There are women I've worked with like good friends of mine who have had miscarriages, but it wasn't until I had a miscarriage that we started having conversations about it. And what happened was on Instagram, like what a few months maybe after it happened, there was some, some meme with a a quote or something about miscarriages and I reshared it. And I said, you know, we went through this in April and it was awful and no one should have to go through it alone. And all of a sudden these women in my world were messaging me and saying like, thanks for sharing this. I went through that too. And I just thought, why, why aren't we talking about this more, more openly? I mean, everyone Mm -hmm. has to do what they're comfortable with in terms of their privacy and, you know, with grief in general, not everyone likes to talk about it and that's okay. But for me, like, I feel like I would have benefited greatly at the time that we were really in the peak of of the hurt and the grief about it from hearing more people talk about it. And, you know, I was determined after it happened. I mean, this was a few weeks before Easter and we opted to not go to this big family Easter gathering because some people had known we were pregnant. Um, and I didn't want to have to talk about it with anyone. I didn't want to talk about it with, um, you know, I wasn't ashamed to talk about it, but I didn't want to be in a position where, you know, someone I didn't know very well asked me about being pregnant or what happened. I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to start crying with someone that, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to share that with. But we insisted, or at least I did, that it not be made a secret why we weren't there. 
because I was not going to be ashamed by it because I knew that I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, I, I, I knew that this wasn't something to be ashamed of. This is something that happens and no one should feel like there's a stigma or judgment or anything like that from anyone if they go through it because it's so common. I mean, when you look at nature, I mean, there are things all around us all the time where, where you know, a new life doesn't work, you know, like from, from branches on a tree to my mom's favorite of, you know, when you look at a pea pod, how many of them don't have a perfect lineup of peas inside. That was the, the analogy she gave me when I was really, really sad about it that made me laugh um, comparing my miscarriage to a pea pod. But I mean, my mom had had eight eight miscarriages. Wow. Um, how, trying to have my brother and trying to have me. And, you know, sh if she can make the pea pod comparison with a smile, like I'll, I'll take it because she knows. Um, but it's just talking about it makes it feel so much less shameful. And when you talk with someone who's been through it, just knowing that they know what you're talking about makes you feel so much less alone. And it's, I mean, it's like that with anything that you can share with someone where you've had a similar experience, you share in the fact that you have that in common. And I think that it's a, an experience that too many women have for it to be something that we're not more open about. Um, and that, that makes me sad that it's not, it, it's not something people wanna talk about. Um, I think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable and and that's okay, but yeah, I just I think that a lot of people would really benefit from more conversation about it. So thank you, this podcast, for you know taking that a step further. Yeah, absolutely. I know we have so much so much progress to make just as a society, but yeah, I mean, I, I hope this does its own little part, like its own little chink in the armor and. I'm so appreciative of you and all the other women I've talked to. It definitely, I will, again, just reiterate just the interviews that I have talking about miscarriages and infertility issues are more common than not. So yeah. it's, it's definitely not proportionate to how little we talk about it, which is mm. a shame. Um, so, so, so much that you've unpacked and we could go on probably forever, but <laughs> what do you wish you knew before? So this could be earlier in motherhood or even before pregnancy that you know now. You know, I, I wish that I would have known that it's okay to have no idea what you're doing, um, especially in the early days of the baby. Like, I just remember feeling so ill-equipped because, you know, the day she came out, I didn't know what each of her cries meant. No one knows what each cry means the, the first you know, moment your, your child is out in the world, but it's, it's okay for everything to be new and to be learning as you go. And everyone has to do that. Like babies are constantly changing. And just when you're done with one phase or you feel like you're really crushing it with like one challenge, it's on to the next. I mean, I thought we really had a good thing going. And then my daughter started getting molars and it's like, Oh my gosh, this, this is new. This is awful. We're going to get through it. But you know, just, just knowing that it's okay to not know what you're doing and you'll figure it out. 
everything will be okay. You know, there's so many like great resources to help you understand what's going on with your kid that it's almost, it's almost difficult for me to sometimes not compare how I'm doing with my child to what those resources are presenting as what I should be doing. If that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, my daughter just dropped her second nap of the day, like a month or two ago. And all these books I was reading about kids her age said that, you know, most babies drop it at 15 months. And so 15 months, I started trying to drop her second nap and she, that did not go over very well. (laughs) She, she needed her second nap. And, you know, that specific experience of the nap scenario really kind of made it clear to me. There are a lot of great resources with guidelines and suggestions and things to try and observations of what, you know, other kids and families are like and what worked for them, but you will learn what works for your kid. And if you're, you know, if you're trying to do your best, you're probably doing just fine. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that you're trying to do your best, you're probably okay. Um, I think that that's the big thing I wish I could I wish I could tell myself, um, you know, when I was kind of in the, in the thick of all of this is that you're doing the best you can. She's fine. Like it's going to be okay. Yeah, I, I can, I totally agree. And I think that that's something I would have told myself too. just as moms, we want this like recipe book, this specific guideline. And like you said, as soon as we feel like we're nailing it, something else changes. There's a sleep Mm -hmm. regression or a tooth comes in or something else. And it's just this constant game and this constant, like, so when are you going to start to trust yourself, Jenna? Mm -hmm. So when are you going to just kind of let it go? And those resources online and in books are all there as suggestions, but they're suggestions. Like at the end of the day, we still ultimately need to be comfortable with our own intuition and be comfortable with our own parenting. And that's, I think the, where everything really sets off. Like once you find that confidence and once you find your way of doing things, that's when you actually start to enjoy it so much more. Yes. Which enjoying parenting is better parenting than knowing all of your kids cries. Like like enjoyable parenting is better than having the exact nap formula, right? Like, yes, I will have a, a toddler who misses this milestone or naps differently or does this differently, but he'll have a happy mom. Like that's what I've learned is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I would also mention to welcome help when it's offered. So for me, I I don't think it was pride. I think it was just like, I'm the mom. I I need to handle this. That kind of got in my way. But early on, I mean, my, my parents helped me with my daughter now and I, I welcome the breaks I get now for the days that I work and also just for a night, like to, to have dinner with my husband in peace. Like I can really appreciate that break, but you know, they've been offering to take my daughter for a day or an afternoon or a night. I mean, since the day she was born, I mean, they've been there and, and ready and willing and, and not just them. I mean, my husband's parents, we, we have people who love us who from the beginning, have, you know, not only wanted to help us, but, you know, wanted to have that time with our daughter. And we really resisted. And it, it wasn't just me, it was him too. You know, we, we resisted for a long time. And my daughter didn't have her first overnight with my parents until she was like nine months old. And I'm thinking, 
imagine at five months old, six months old, what a quality night of sleep would have done for me, like Mm -hmm. one night. And so I think that's the other thing. It's just, if you have help that, you know, you, you trust would have the best interests for your child at heart. I mean, grandparents are the perfect example. Like who's going to spoil and love your children (laughs) more than you probably, probably the grandparents. Um, if you have that opportunity to take a nap or to just take whatever that break looks like for you, that will do some good for you, for your head and for just you being you, like take it if it's there. And if it's not there, find it if you can, because I wish I wouldn't have waited to get the breaks I need um, until I did, you know, I, I think, I think accepting that help earlier would have made a big difference for me. Um, you know, I, I wish I would have, but I, I hope that other moms will, you know, consider that if, if they're resisting it, because it can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So last question, why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things? You know, I saw this question on your document and I, I read through each one and I, I kind of thought about my thoughts for each one and I kept hitting this off. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I think it's important to do and go through hard things because of the confidence it gives you. Um, I think that navigating some of the the tough stuff with a baby, right? So navigating acid reflux with my daughter and her dairy intolerance and the constipation issues that she's had, uh, to name a few, which aren't a big deal at all. They're common, but they're stuff for parents to figure out. Getting through all that stuff makes me feel like, okay, whatever the next challenge is, it's probably going to be a challenge, but we'll figure it out. Like, we'll get through it. I know where my resources are for healthcare for my daughter. I know who to call. I'm confident to ask the questions I need to feel like I'm doing my job as a mom. Like getting through the hard stuff with her makes me feel like, okay, we are ready for, I mean, ready as you can be for whatever the next parenting challenge is. And for me, getting through the hard stuff of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety makes me feel confident that I can I can take on whatever else is going to come my way as a person, not as a mom, but whatever the obstacle is, you know, if, whether it's self-doubt about starting, you know, a new business that <laughs> I just, just this past week launched a new business and have been having some anxiety and, and feelings of self-doubt and just, no, you know what? I, I can get through this. I know how to help myself if I find I'm having a challenge. You know, I know, I know who to call. I, I know to ask for help. I know that I can do it. Um, I think that whether it's as a parent or just as a person, going through hard things makes you stronger and more ready to go after or go through anything else that you need or want to that's ahead. Yeah. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. So that's it. So thank okay. you so much. Like again, I, when I started this podcast, I knew that it would be helpful for women listening and I 
had a feeling it would be helpful for the women who were inter who I was interviewing. Like I thought mm-hmm. it would just be a cathartic experience to unpack all those things in a non-judgmental space, but yeah. I didn't realize how helpful it would be for me. Mm-hmm. And like every time that I'm on the phone with a mom, it's like, this is so good for me too. Like, like That's if this great. is the, if this is the relief that I feel as a mom, like I know so many other women are going to feel that and they're going to feel that in your story. So thank you so much for your willingness and your time and your heart. And I just honor the place where you're at and everything that you've been through. And I I'm so appreciative. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about it. And I have a question for you. Yeah. So like, as I said, I'm all about telling my friends and family, like real talk about this stuff. I know it's anonymous, but when you share it, do you care if I share it with my friends and family? No, I would like love if, for you to. If I'm not anonymous, I, I want to honor no, what you're trying to do. No, I would love for you to, for sure. Okay. And I okay. will, um, I have two more ahead of you to edit, um, but I'll still be able to edit yours, I think, by like midweek. So I oh, will okay. text you um, before it airs. So I will text you um, when it's ready. And then, yeah, for sure. Share right. the heck out of it. Well, as, you, as you're doing this, you know, I don't know what your plans are for the long term with it or how it's going to evolve or I'm sure grow. But if you ever need anyone to speak very candidly about this shit, excuse me. Um, <laughs> totally, totally cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I, you can count me as someone who will always raise my hand and say, yes, like it's so important and like anything I can do to help you, I'm all for it. Yeah, absolutely. I, feel your energy and just your passion. And I feel like we've been in groups before. Like, um, I'm you, what was the group called? Um, mom's mental health initiative. What was that? Maybe there was a, there was a space group, Facebook group for women. Uh, I, you know, I, I joined a bunch of those in the height of this stuff just to see that other people were, were going through what I was going through. And I don't know which one, but I I know I'd seen your name and before and things from you before. Yeah, no, I've seen your name before too, like before you even joined my mom group. And so <laughs> we were connected, I think, through there. Um, yeah. And so I remember just always you being very vocal and just like a powerhouse for women. <laughs> and so I like when you reached out to me and you wanted, first of all, I think I had that reaction even when you joined my mom group. I was like, oh my gosh, she's in my mom group. Like, Aww, she's going to be so, so nice. helpful. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, when you wanted to interview for my podcast, I was like, heck yeah, I'm so yeah. excited to hear just personally your story and then like get that out to the world because I know that you're just like called to share yeah. and that's going to be so helpful. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. It's yeah. Great. Thank you so much. So I will let you know when it's ready and then yeah, okay. show the heck out of it. Sounds good. Cleo, thank you so much and rock Thanks, on. Thanks, Jenna. Like, I resonate with you a lot and like oh. felt so much with you and felt like we had a lot in common. So yeah, we'll need to like talk more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. When things get closer to normal, like I cannot wait for when I can actually go to a, a, like a Piper's porch meetup or something yeah, like that. For sure. Yeah. And just like everything that you've been through and I would have talked to you more if we weren't already in an hour, but like <laughs> I wanted to talk, I, I'm wanting to do a podcast on like, just having one child and and the indecision Mm -hmm. that comes with that. And so just, I wanted to talk to you more about like your decision, like you were saying, we're not sure if we're going to have another one. And I think that's a really like vulnerable population of women. 
Um, that is a whole other conversation. Yeah. And so yeah. maybe wait, maybe I'll bring you back on for that because sure. it's just such a vulnerable place to be in. Like, do yeah. I want another one? Do I not? What does that mean about me? How do I explain that to other people? And so. Oh, my gosh. And the judgment from other people. Yeah. I mean, it blows my mind. Yep. We'll have to talk about it. Yeah. So keep that in the back of your mind. And um, I have that like in my next some sometime sometimes soon I really want to get to that but like I feel like I also need to overcome my own like it's going to be an anxiety provoking and kind of like weird topic for me so oh yeah maybe it would be helpful to have someone else on it so so yeah well, let's keep that in the back of our minds I'm really appreciative of you and just everything that you stand for and do so thank you again so much thank you I hope you yeah. have a great weekend yeah you too see ya bye. okay bye For more information and resources, you can head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other women and people in general who need these resources and they would otherwise not get them. With that said, thank you guys again so much for tuning in. I love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.